0: Okay, so the reading today is from Psalm 100, which is in page 604 in the Church Bibles. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Well, good evening, everyone. It's great to see you here. My name's Tom Woodbridge. I am part of the staff team here at St. Mary's. And as Steve said at the beginning of the sermon, it it really has been a week like no other, hasn't it? Tomorrow will, I'm sure, be a day like no other. And so I wonder how you're feeling as you come to church this evening. I wonder how you're feeling after the events of this past week. I wonder how you're feeling as you look forward to uh, tomorrow and the funeral. And as Christians, it's, it's right to feel sadness at the events that have happened. As, as Christians, it's, it's right to grieve at the passing of our Queen Elizabeth. And so I wonder how you felt as the reading was read out and as we're going to look at Psalm 100. I wonder how you felt that on a day like today, in a period that we're in, that we're going to take the time to look at a psalm, which verse 1 says, shout for joy to the Lord. I picked this psalm to speak on a few weeks ago before uh, the Queen passed away. And so over the past week as I've been preparing for this evening, I've been questioning myself and wondering, is this apt? Is this appropriate for today? But what we find in this psalm is that even in tough times, there is still a reason to be able to shout for joy. Even when there's tough times going on, there's still a reason to be able to worship the Lord with gladness. And so let's get into this psalm and see what those reasons are. We're going to look at two things. We're going to look first at the call, And then secondly, we're going to look at the reason, the call and the reason. And if you're sharp and you've got your notice sheet, you'll notice that that looks nothing like what's on the back of the notice sheet. That was this morning's uh, talk and passage. Um, So you've missed that one if you weren't here this morning. Um, So ignore the headings there. And we've just got two simple headings, the call and the reason. So let's go first, the call. In verses 1 to 2 and verse 4. Let me read verses 1 to 2 to us. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Here's the call from the psalmist right at the start of this psalm shout for joy. Worship the Lord. Come before him with joyful songs. It's thought this psalm was used almost as a call to worship for the people of God in the Old Testament. And you see in these two verses at the start, almost the same thing said in three different ways. Three different ways of of building upon the last one, of developing the significance and the emphasis of the invitation that we see in these opening verses. As the people of God were preparing to come to the temple, here is the call that would have been given out by the priests. Encouraging the people to engage with songs of worship and praise and thanksgiving. And we see that theme developed in verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. As people come through the gates as people approach the courts of the temple, the priest shouts, come with a heart of thanksgiving. Come with a heart ready to give praise to the Lord. I was trying to think of what a modern-day example, almost, of what this might look like. The best I could come up with is, it's almost like the fans at a big sports match. And as they approach the stadium to come to the game. You can almost imagine the stadium announcer over the PA system, come on, welcome. Come along and make your joyful noise to the team. Come and shout for joy. The sports stadium seems to be the place where for men in particular, their Monday to Friday, they're just showing no emotion at all. And when it hits Saturday, they seem to lose all inhibitions. And so the emotion they show on a Saturday, and maybe it makes up for the lack of emotion Monday to Friday, but they're so ready to shout and sing like no other time during the week. Maybe, um, maybe this is unwise, but let me um, stick my colors to the mast early on in my time at St. Mary's. I'm a Tottenham Hotspur fan. I don't know how that sits with some of you. It doesn't seem like a good reaction so far, so we'll see if this gets any better. But I am a Tottenham Hotspur fan. Uh, I grew up in North London, so I'm, I, I'm allowed to be. I grew up near the stadium, um, the white half of Tottenham Hotspur, the best of uh, North London, the better half. Um, Tottenham Hotspur, if you know anything about them, in the last few years, uh, they had a new stadium built. Massive stadium, best stadium in the world, apparently. Don't take my word for it, not biased. Best stadium in the world. Um, And apparently, when they designed the stadium, they, I don't know how they worked this out, but they worked out that they put the crowd in proximity to the pitch and the perfect gradient to not only fit the maximum number of people in with the best view, but to maximize the acoustics of the stadium, to maximize the noise that the fans can make, so that the players on the pitch can hear it and be encouraged and motivated to play better. I'll let you decide whether it works for Tottenham Hotspur, but that's what they try to do. In fact, one of the um, tiers behind the goal is a single tier all the way up to the top, and it's been nicknamed the Wall of Noise. Yet here in Psalm 100, it's so much more than simply going along and support- supporting your local sports team you get the sense that that we're being called to be involved with something that encapsulates so much more than simply a Saturday afternoon. And even for us as Christians, actually calling us to something that is so much more than simply just a Sunday evening. You see that word at the beginning of um, verse 2, worship or serve, It gives the sense of an undivided worship, an undivided loyalty to the one that you're worshipping. It's it's a submission of the whole self. And so it, it takes over our mouth and shapes every single word that comes out as we speak. It takes over the feelings of the heart. Do you see the heart feelings that are expressed in the psalm? The joy, the gladness. It takes over the feelings of the heart as we shout for joy and worship the Lord. It's the whole of ourself. And so it does extend to a Sunday, but it's not just a Sunday, but it extends throughout the whole week. And so in the New Testament, Romans 12 speaks of our worship involving our whole self, our whole entirety. And it involves all of the time, every minute of every day. It's on a Sunday as we come and gather together and uh, praise and worship our, our Lord. But it's on a Monday as we get up and prepare to go to work or to college, as we prepare to look after the kids or the grandkids, as we go about our daily tasks, as we do our weekly food shop. Will we let our whole selves live a life of praise to God? And yet here's the challenge I find as I read these verses. It's all very well when I'm feeling good in my faith. It's all very well when I'm feeling close to God. And so I come on a Sunday and I'm ready and I'm wanting to praise and worship my King. And I go out through my life and and I'm, I'm wanting to give my life and live my life as a thanks to Him. But what about the times when it doesn't feel that way? Because the reality is, and I'm sure we all know this, and maybe even more so this week, the reality is that we don't always feel that way. Whether it's things that are going on in our own lives that means that coming into church with a feeling of wanting to praise God is just the last feeling in the world right now. Or whether it's things going on in the world around us or right now in our country in the past week and tomorrow's events That that means that these verses just feel so distant right now. Or or I might even say feel appropriate, inappropriate, even. I think it can help to uh, see the context that this psalm falls into. This psalm, the psalms, is, is one book, the Psalter, but it's actually made up of five collections of psalms. So the book of psalms is made up of five books of psalms within it, if that makes sense. And the five books actually reflect different periods in Israel's history. And so books one and two are full of psalms of David, psalms of King David. They reflect the time when Israel had their king, Then you get to book three, and this reflects the period in Israel's history when they were in exile. The king is gone. The the people have been moved to a separate country, a different country, and they're under foreign rule. And so, so many of the Psalms in book three reflect this. Their prayers crying out to God. Jump to book five, and it seems to reflect the people of Israel back in their own land praising God for being returned to their own land. Here in Psalm 100, we're in book four. We're between book three, them crying out to God in exile, and book five, where they've returned and are praising God. And what what are the people doing in these Psalms and in Psalm 100? They're praising God. You, You see, the theme through book four seems to be a people of God who despite the realities of their situation are calling on their God, are reminding themselves of who he is, and therefore coming back to him and praising him. How are the people of God in this situation able to sing these psalms in the the situation that they find themselves in? Well, because they remember who God is and what God has done for them. How are we able to come and praise and thank our Lord? How are we able to live lives of worship and thanks to the Lord? Well, in verses 3 and 5, the psalmist gives us the reason. So let's have a look at the reason in verses 3 and 5. Shout for joy, worship the Lord, the psalmist says. Why? What's our motivation? Well, because he is worthy of our praise and thanksgiving. Have a look at verse 3 know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Why is God worthy of our praise? Because he is the God who made us. It is God who made the 80,000 miles of blood vessels running through your body right now. It is God who made the 8,000 taste buds that are on your tongue that help you to enjoy food. It's God who made the million gigabytes of storage that your brain can hold. I feel like I have nowhere near that amount right now. But it's the God who created it. It's God who created you, who knitted you together. All that we are is a wonderful gift from him. God created us. He is the reason behind our existence and our identity. And so is our creator. We belong to him, the psalmist says. But it's not belonging to some abstract, uncaring deity. It's, it's not belonging to some distant, almost oppressive God. No. do you see the beautiful picture the psalmist gives us of, wh- of who we belong to? We are his people. The sheep of his pasture. We are sheep who belong to our shepherd. A shepherd who doesn't just do whatever he wants with his sheep, no, a shepherd who cares for his sheep, who looks after his sheep. If you were here a couple of weeks ago as we looked at Psalm 23, a shepherd who provides and protects his sheep. In fact, Preparing for this evening, I found out that throughout the Bible, this sheep and shepherd metaphor is only ever used to speak of the people of God. Here is a picture of belonging: belonging to a shepherd who loves and cares for his sheep. And you see this word "know" at the beginning of verse three. It's more than a a superficial kind of objective, hey, hey, make sure you're aware of this kind of thing, kind of know. No, it's much deeper than that. It is to know deeply in your heart as well as your mind. It is to let, let it affect the way that you look at God and look at yourself. It's to deeply know and therefore to let it affect us that we are created by God. Listen to how one person has put this verse. He says, of course, we all know that we didn't make ourselves, but there is a big difference between those who merely intellectually affirm this but continue to live as if they are the captain of their own ship, coming to God on their own initiative, relating to him on basically level plane, and those who understand that not an atom in their bodies is either created or sustained except by God who understand that not a second which they take breath is not a gift. Do you know that you are made by the Lord and therefore you belong to him? Do you know that you belong to him like a sheep belongs to its shepherd? What difference does it make to know that we belong to our shepherd well, it's the difference between feeling like you belong to a God who, you, who you've got to work for and slave for just to avoid this God getting grouchy or grumpy with us, a, a God who feels distant and, and impersonal, a, a God who, who, for whom you've got to do all the running compared to those who can peacefully follow their shepherd, a, a shepherd who has bought them, a shepherd who owns them, A shepherd who protects and provides for them. A shepherd who lays down his life for them. Which one sounds more attractive? It's a no-brainer, isn't it? Do you know your shepherd and therefore know that you are deeply loved and cared for? There's a motivation to praise and thank our God. And if that's not enough, then the psalmist gives us further motivation in verse five. Have a look down at verse five. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever, his faithfulness continues through all generations. The Lord is good. And this statement, good, it almost has dual meaning to it. It it speaks of God's character. It is saying God in his very essence, his very being, he's goodness. Everything about him is good. And it also speaks of what he does. God is good because he does good things. And I wonder, I wonder in society today whether we may be in danger of, of losing the goodness of the word good that we almost water the word good down. So, so we basically use it to explain anything that ranges from kind of average to amazing. Yet here, good is such a, a rich, deep statement for God that in fact in early Judaism, they felt it frowned upon to use the word to explain anything else because nothing else compares. Do you see the danger? We use good to describe anything that's pretty much all right. And what happens? Our God becomes, oh, he's pretty much all right. No, God is good. <laughs> and his love endures forever. Not love in, in, in a terms of like a sentimental feeling. No, this is, this is covenant love. This is steadfast love. This is saving love. A, a love that makes a real difference to those who trust him. And this love endures forever. It cannot run out. His faithfulness to the promises that he makes, to his people, it will never stop. Like many of us, I'm sure, over the past week, as I've read some of the reactions and tributes to the Queen, I've found them pretty overwhelming. Overwhelming. It's incredible the impact that she had on so many people, not just in this country, but across the whole world. And one of the common themes running through so many of the tributes has been her constancy. Have you read that? Speaking about the Queen's constancy. Headlines I've read are "Are Queen Elizabeth II, the one constant in an inconstant world. Queen Elizabeth, a constant presence in an ever-changing world. The, one, the world's one constant during second, seven decades of change. And it was so easy to see that throughout her life. It was so evident. As things happened around her, she always seemed to say the right thing. She always seemed to react in the right way. And so as the world around us was changing and becoming, becoming ever so unpredictable well, at least we knew we had a queen that we could rely on who would say the right thing, who would do the right thing. And I wonder, maybe that's what's hitting people so hard right now. That constancy is no longer. And so as she's no longer with us, we don't have that person we turn to who we know will say the right thing, will do the right thing. The country has lost its one true constant. (laughs) And yet as Christians, as we mourn the passing of a queen, we mourn the passing of the queen who throughout her life wanted to point people to her one true king. A king who we see from these verses is is truly a never-ending constant. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. There is no end to God's goodness, God's love, God's faithfulness. How do we see this most perfectly, most beautifully? Well, in the shepherd laying down his life for his sheep in God sending his son Jesus to to live the perfect life and yet be killed in our place, showing perfect love, showing his goodness to us. And so as you look back and see the lengths that he's prepared to go for you, know that his faithfulness to you knows no end. He cannot let you go. As the psalmist in Psalm 139 sings, he will hold you fast. Here is the reason, the motivation for our praise. Here is what brings us the joy and the gladness spoken about in verses 1 and 2. And so as the world around us tries to compete for our worship, by trying to claim that if you go after it and worship it, it can give us the joy and the gladness and the happiness and the satisfaction. And yet I'm sure we know all too well it is only temporary. It just doesn't last. And yet our God is good and his love and faithfulness, it lasts forever. And so keep looking to him for your joy and satisfaction. So will we live lives of praise (laughs) because he is worthy of praise? I wonder what that might look like for you. Maybe it's on a Sunday as as you prepare to come to church to, to remind yourself of who God is, of all that he has done for you. And so come ready to praise and thank our Lord. Maybe for you it's not so much Sunday, but it's Monday through Saturday at home or at work with friends or or family or neighbors or colleagues. Asking God to help you to worship him and serve him in all things. Maybe for you right now, this just feels impossible. It's the last thing that you feel like doing is praising God. Please keep trusting that God is good, that his love endures forever that his faithfulness continues through all generations. And keep looking at the cross as evidence of that. Someone said the cross is God's continued, unmistakable public demonstration of his love for us, his steadfast commitment that he is for his people and he will never fail them. Keep looking back to the cross and keep looking forward To a day when all shadows will be banished, all tears will be wiped away, and so we may know and experience God's love without any accompanying sorrow. And finally, do you notice how this psalm isn't just for God's people? It's not just for Christians. Did you see that in verse 1? Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. This invitation to praise God, it's addressed to the whole world. All the earth is called to come and praise him. Why? Because God is Lord of all the earth. All the earth can know God as their shepherd king. All the earth can experience his goodness and his love and his faithfulness. And so will we be a people who will take that out to all the earth, living lives that praise and worship him? And so show Christ to a watching world. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Well, let me pray that that might be a reality for us and for all the earth. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are good. Thank you that your love endures forever. Thank you that your faithfulness continues through all generations. Father, help us to know that deeply in our hearts. And so may the response and outpouring of that be a joyful praise and worship of you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: So thank you for the questions that you've uploaded. Hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get a chance now to uh add to them two questions that were on a similar theme um about uh what does it mean for christians to enter the gates of thanksgiving are we already inside on or not what does it mean to enter his gates and courts um so so for, for us now in this situation
0: yeah great yeah really good questions i think whenever we come to the bible and any bible passage um two things that are really important to do is work out, right, as I read this, what does this mean in its original context? This obviously originally wasn't written for me or for us at St. Mary's. It was written originally for the original hearers. What, is that, what does that mean? Because that's really important to understand. And then I want to kind of bridge the gap to me and go... So what does that mean for me? Is it exactly the same as what it meant for them back there, or is there something slightly different? Really important to do with every passage with the Bible. Can I say this? Maybe even more important to do with the Old Testament before Christ, because it does deal with a slightly different context of of the Jewish people. And and so I think here what's going on is, is more of an Old Testament temple, Jewish temple setting, where they would have gates at the front and then you go through the gates and you enter the courts of the temple. And, and so, as I mentioned, it's, it's the priests of the temple declaring to the people and saying, enter through the gates with thanksgiving. When you come, come with thanksgiving and come into his courts with praise. That's what it meant for them then. What does that mean for us now? I don't think we have any gates outside, kind of courtyard. But but that's not so much the literal meaning. It's saying, well, for the Old Testament people of Israel, that's what it meant for them with the Jewish temple. For us now, where there is an application to say, when you come into church, whatever the building might look like, come in with this heart attitude. Uh, But as we also mentioned, it's it's not just that. It's more than that. It's not just on a Sunday. Actually, this word worship means your whole self all of the time. And so it is, when we come to church, let's come with thanksgiving and praise. <laughs> but almost if I can say, as we go out of church again, let's go out with thanksgiving and praise and let our whole lives be shaped with it. So really important we do the, the hard work of going, what did it mean back then? What does that mean for us today? And the slightly different context of us as Christians as we come to church and gather on a Sunday, but also as we go out with thanks and praise as well.
1: Thanks, Woody. That's, uh, that's really helpful. Um, next question. You, you and I have both spoken about the events of the week. Um, so do you think that people worship people, worship people more than they worship God? Uh, and in the context of the life of Queen Elizabeth, will they thank God for her life, or will they be thanking the, the Queen? And what she, I guess the, the follow-on bit of that is... Well, what, what should then, what should our response be? Yeah, in that yeah, yeah. I,
0: I think the second question is a really interesting question that I'm, I'm really interested to see how the funeral is conducted tomorrow. I, I don't envy the, I think it's the Dean of Westminster Abbey and, and the Archbishop of Canterbury as they speak. It's gonna be a hard, a hard role as, what is it, billions of people are watching. But I, I do pray, that they will point people to Jesus, that of course we take the opportunity to remember the queen and we talk rightly about her. But the, I'm pretty sure the queen would have wanted to go, no, 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 don't worry about me. I'm good. Look at Jesus. He's so much better. And, and so I really hope and pray that tomorrow, of course, we will look at the queen and think about the queen. But I really hope and pray that focus and attention is, is gone. The queen believed in a, a bigger and better king. Let's look to him. Do you think people worship people more than God? <sighs> I, I wish and I hope not, but I wonder if people do worship people more than God. Uh, and we, we looked at the kind of the danger of, of divided worship and thinking about worshiping other things rather than God. Um, and, and the danger that worshiping people or anything else apart from God <laughs> just doesn't deliver. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think people worship people more than God. I, I wish and hope and pray that that will change. Um, and, it, and almost, dare I say a call to us to go to help people see the greater God than people or than the things we might worship.
1: Cool, thank you. Uh, final question. Um, in order to know God is good, loving and to give thanks to him in praise, we need to know why he's good and why we're giving him thanks. So how do we show the people that we meet the reason why?
0: Yeah, great question. And, and I, hope, I hope we touched on the reason why he is good and uh, loving, and so why we can give him thanks and praise. And and I I hope as a church we we never stop talking about why he is good and loving and why we can give him praise. And if we're ever in danger of that, tell us, because we want to tell you why God is good and loving and is so deserving of our praise. How do we show the people the reason why? I want, I want God to change me so that the way I live my life amongst friends and family who aren't Christians, they might see a difference in me in the way that I live. So a, a silly example, but some of you will know that um, we broke down about a month ago, and it took about a month for the car to be sorted out. My next-door neighbor um, was really, really helpful, loves cars. And, and he almost couldn't understand why we weren't more frustrated, why we weren't almost pulling our hair out, and, and, and to the point of almost effing and blinding at the garage for not sorting it out. And I, I hope that he saw in me a contentedness that goes, yeah, it is really frustrating that we don't have a car. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I, I have a piece about this situation, because there is someone and something greater than that just a car breaking down. And, and so I, I want to show in my lifestyle that God makes a difference in everything. I, I think my mind goes to something like the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. I, I want God to do a work in me so that as I live my life, and my prayer is that this would be true for all of us, as we live our lives, the fruits of the Spirit would display themselves. And so people go, there's something different about that person. I, I want to know why. And then hopefully the opportunity comes that they do say, what is it? Why did you not get angry at that at work? Why did you not flip out at college or whatever? And and so we're able to give a reason for our hope. (laughs) So we're able to say, because there is someone greater than my circumstances. And he is good and he's loving and I'd love to share him with, with you. So I think there's two sides to it. A a lifestyle, how I live my life, hopefully shows them a difference that Jesus Christ makes in my life. And then, and I find this so hard, then a next step of, I I want to share that with people as well. I want to tell them about Jesus. And and so take the opportunities that that might create.
1: Woody, I think that's a great place to draw stumps. Let's uh...